This is our last um, of the a series of Dream to Destiny by Robert Morris. It's been a good series. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot from it. Uh, today is kind of like uh, the, the highlight of that. It all comes to a climax today. Uh, but let's just pray. Let's just ask uh, the Lord's presence to be here. We experience his presence in worship. And Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that you would... Uh, Give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and um, allow your Holy Spirit, Father, to speak to us. Lord, that we would just not go through another Sunday morning religious exercise, but God, that your presence and your power is here, that God, you would write these words on the tablet of our heart, and Father, that uh, your Holy Spirit would bring them to remembrance in days ahead, Father, that we can draw from these wells of salvation, we can draw from your word uh, that what your word says about itself, that it is a lamp to our feet, a lamp, not a spotlight. It just shows us step by step and a light to our path, Father. You don't show us the whole picture, but you show us a little bit at a time. God, we pray that you would reveal something to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. So think about it for a second. Now, if... Uh, God had shown Joseph everything that was going to happen. Just think about it from the very beginning. You know, he's, you know, can you hear God saying, Joseph, I've got a great plan for your life. I've got a destiny for your life. And let me tell you how it's going to work. First of all, your brothers are going to want to kill you. Then they're going to sell you into slavery. And then they're going to put you in a pit. And then you're going to spend about 13 years in prison. Are you up for this, Joseph? Are you ready? You know, it's like, wait a second, God. Whoa, 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 God. All right, so last week we talked about the pardon test and, um, you know, how, as I just mentioned, how Joseph, Joseph's brothers wanted to uh, kill him and then they sold, sold him into slavery. I want you to get, if I could, you know, I think it really helps us if we can kind of get a timeline grip. So let me just kind of walk you back through this. In Genesis chapter 37, uh, Joseph is 17 years old when he's sold into slavery. And then in Genesis 41, 46, Joseph is 30 years old. He's already spent 13 years in prison. Um, but at the age of 30, he goes into Pharaoh's court. And, um, and then remember the, um, the dream that he had or that Pharaoh had that Joseph interpreted. And the dream was that there was going to be seven good years and seven bad years. And so uh, at the age of 30... Uh, Joseph goes into Pharaoh's court, and he's there for the seven good years. And at the, uh, at the, at the beginning of the famine, the seven ba uh, fat, bad years, or two years into the seven bad years, his brothers show up. And so uh, I didn't do the math on that, but uh, I'm thinking that Joseph is 39 years old, right? Okay, 17. So it's been about 20-some-odd uh, years uh, 22 years since he's seen his brothers. And so we're going to back up. We're, you know, chronologically, we're kind of, you know, we, we got to um, Jacob's death last year or last week and the burial of, uh, of Jacob and how the brothers were concerned now that Joseph was going to be uh, angry with them for the evil that they had, um, had done to him. So we're going to pick up um, verse 1. And this is when Joseph is revealing himself to his brothers. And I want you to think about this. Says, and then Joseph no longer controlled himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. 
And there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Listen, this is 22 years after they sold him into slavery. He says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You know what they was going through their mind? Let me help you out. That would be a cue to the sound booth. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Uh, seriously? <laughs> I mean, what are they thinking? I am Joseph, your brothers are thinking, no, man, we sold you into slavery. This can't be happening to us. But it did. And so it's just like, you know, they are, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were terrified at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am Joseph your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me. Listen to this. We're going to come back to this in a moment. Because it was to save lives, listen to this, that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will, be, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God, here we go again, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you or for you a remnant on the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you, this is the third time he's saying it, who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire, entire household, and ruler of, of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, Jacob is even, you know, I mean, how does he respond to this? I mean, it's just like, man, this is hard to conceive. This is hard to believe. I mean, I thought my son was dead. For 22 years, I've been thinking this. And all of a sudden, I'm hearing that he's alive. He says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all that you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. And he threw his arms around his brother uh, Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. He kissed him and all of his brothers and he wept over them. So, I mean, this is just an incredible encounter. An incredible encounter. So, you know, when we talk about this, 
you know, talking about having a dream and having a purpose from God. You know, I know that deep down in, in many of our lives, you know, that we wonder, and some of you may be wondering today, does God really have a purpose for me? Is there really a purpose in my life? I seem to just kind of like be floating through, uh, you know, life, kind of like that uh, Forrest Gump, you know, that feather at the end, just kind of like, you know, what's, whatever happened. You know, but I want to tell you that God does have a purpose for your life. He's given each of us a dream. He's given each of us a purpose to fulfill uh, that would bring him honor and that would bring him glory. Without looking at your notes, does anyone know, can anyone quote Ecclesiastes 3.1? Again, sound booth, that would be a cue. <laughs> I'm going to help you out. that help you a little bit? You didn't know that you knew scripture back in the 60s, did you? All right. To everything there is a season, a time, a purpose under the heaven. Um, you know, he says it uh, in 3.1, then again in 3.17, he says, for there is a time and there is a purpose, every purpose for every work, that God has given us a time and a purpose. And we see that for Joseph in his life, you know, uh, 13, uh, 17 years thrown into prison, staying in prison for 13 years, and then God bringing him up, raising him up out of this uh, prison experience and bringing him to second in command of Egypt. There is a purpose. There was a purpose for his life. And, uh, you know, I, I think that when I think about Joseph's life, it would have been real easy for him to get sidetracked. Now, you know, we talked about this last week that, you know, sometimes we could get through the pardon test, and sometimes that we can get through uh, the purpose test. But it's the test that we talked about before then. You know, we talked about the purity test when uh, Joseph was there with Potiphar's wife. And we talked about, you know, the pit test when he was thrown down into the dungeon and wondering why God had allowed this to happen, or in the prison test, and how he remained faithful even in those difficult times in life. And see, if you're not faithful, if you don't remain faithful to God in these difficult times in life where your character is being tested, you won't be able to reach your destiny. I mean, you can be derailed, and the only person that can derail your life, I know that, you know, we have the enemy coming, coming against us. The Ephesians tell, tells us that to ward off those fiery darts of the enemy, to lift up the shield of faith, to quench those fiery darts of the enemy. But you know what? The only person that can really thwart God's plan for you and God's purpose for you is you. If we start failing in these tests, if we start, uh, you know, breaking down, uh, then it's hard for God, it's hard for God to bring us to that place of destiny. And I believe that the Lord is saying to each of us this morning, maybe you've failed. Maybe you've failed in some of these tests that I've just mentioned, the pardon test or the purity test or... Um, the uh, power test, maybe you failed in some of those. You know the great thing about God is that if you fail a test, he'll allow you to take it again. He'll just let you kind of keep taking it over and over and over again until you pass the test. It's, you know, God's heart is for you to pass the test. Um, 
let me just uh, pick up a couple of things. I want to show you uh, some of the purposes uh, by individuals in the Scripture. And I'm going to start with, uh, with Jesus. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let's go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. So we see that, you know, Jesus had uh, several purposes in life. One of them was to preach and teach and bring the word of God from, you know, uh, uh, from town to town. And then in John chapter 12, verse 27, this is just the night before Jesus goes into the, he's in the garden, he's going to the cross the next day, and he says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And so we see that, you know, the scripture tells us that there are many, and we'll read about some more that had this purpose in life. Number one, you believe that you have a purpose, that God has given you a purpose. And number two is understand that God is in control. Now, as you move toward your purpose, you're going to have some setbacks. You're going to have some afflictions in life. You're going to have some difficulties in life. People are going to lie about you. They're going to say bad things about you, just like, you know, just like Joseph. There, you know, there were those that lied about him. Potiphar's wife lied about him. There are those that did bad things to him. His brothers intentionally did bad things to him. And, uh, but you need to understand that God is in control and that God has a purpose for your life. And, you know, I know that many of you have, uh, have suffered some setbacks in life. You've had some difficult things that, you know, that have gone on in your life. Um, and, and I just want to encourage you here today that God has not abandoned you, that God will see you through. The Bible says that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And you may have had some setbacks and there may have been some hard times that have happened to you in life, and I don't undermine that. I don't belittle that. I just want to tell you that it's not over for you, that God can keep moving you forward and that you can fulfill your destiny. Now, look at this again. Uh, this is Genesis 45, and uh, I, I just want to repeat it. I think it bears uh, hearing again. Now, Joseph's speaking to his brothers, and he's talking about you know, uh, he knew that they had intentionally sold the, uh, him into slavery. Um, they had thrown him into the pit that they intentionally tried to or thought about killing him. But notice what he says, and you can see his heart. And I think that, you know, for us to fulfill God's destiny in our life, that we have to have the same kind of heart that Joseph had. You look at the bigger picture. Why is this happening? What is God saying through this? And Joseph you know, uh, says again to his brothers, he says, don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. All of, he's saying all of these bad things that happened to me were to save lives just like it's happening and God sent me ahead of you. For two years there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What a great perspective. You know, I mean, we can blame God, we can blame God, or we can step back and say, God, what are you doing? What are, what are you trying to do? You know, how do you want me to glorify your name in this situation? 
you know, it would have been so easy um, for, uh, for Joseph to, you know, just, just be absolutely blown away by what had, done, had been done to him. But he has an incredible attitude, and he understands. I believe that at this moment, in this moment right here, I'm not sure that Joseph understood this up until this moment, but at this moment, I believe that Joseph recognizes his destiny. I think it's just all becoming crystal clear. You know, here's his family. Uh, if they stay in Canaan, they're going to be destroyed. Uh, there's a famine in the land that God has sent him before, uh, before the family to prepare a place for them, kind of like Jesus doing for us. In John chapter 14, Jesus says that I'm going to go to the Father in my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I mean, we see this kind of type of Christ, you know, demonstrated through Joseph's life, Joseph's life again. And, and just think about this, you know. Um, I know that we say, sometimes we say, that I will, when I get into that position, when God places me in that final position, of my destiny, then I'll start using my gifts and I'll start using my talents. I would just tell you that that's not the way it works. That if you're faithful in little things, remember that uh, in the parable of the talent, it says, he says that the one man that went and buried his talent, he didn't use his talent. God says, take it away from that man and give it to the one that has received ten or the one that has received five. Give it to him. So he takes, he's taking away from the one that's not using it. If you want to see um, your, your position, if you want to see your destiny fulfilled in a greater way, start using your uh, God-given gifts and talents right now. In Romans chapter 8, 28, we use this scripture a lot in church. It says that we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That God works all things for good, all things for good, even the difficult things in your life, because you've been called for the purpose of God. In Isaiah chapter 55, and you know this scripture, and some of these I've used in the last couple of weeks, but I think they bear hearing again. As the heavens are higher than the earth, and, and we're not talking about measurement in feet or yards or, or miles. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow comes down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish, so that it will yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, God speaking his word, He's saying that it will accomplish. I mean, just even the word that's going forth right now. I mean, God's word going forth right now, God will accomplish something. There's a purpose in his word this morning. And uh, for some of you, it may be healing. For some of you, you know, maybe you've got some brokenness in your life. You've got some hurt, some heaviness in your life. Maybe some of you need some direction in your life today. And God is releasing his word. And through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, I believe that God will bring some clarity to some of you about what he's doing in your life. You know, that some of you have been in this one place, and maybe it's not been a very good place. And God's saying, you know what? Through the power of my word, I'm going to send forth my word. And as a, as a result of the word going forth today, God's saying that I'm going to move you to a different place. 
You know, it's just like, who can reject his word? When God spoke, just think about this. You know, when God spoke, um, there was no real work involved. Well, there was a little bit of work when he got to us. But, you know, just think about when God spoke, you know, he said, sun. And just, man, it was there. Moon, it's there. Milky Way, boom, yeah, just like that. I mean, it's just like one word and it's, and it's there. And the psalmist says that God sent forth his word. He just sent forth a word, and he healed them. He brought deliverance to them. Remember the centurion comes to Jesus, and he says, you know, Lord, you know, I, he said, my servant's sick, and I need, you to, I need you to come. And then he says, you know what, I'm a man under authority. I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. Just simply say in a word. Say in a word. You understand that? Say in a word. Let me just explain something to you this morning. The difference between power and authority, okay? Um, say a, a car is going down the street 60 miles an hour, and uh, there's a policeman on the side of the road. Now, he cannot stand in front of that car and say stop and, and through his power have it stop. He could move a, a two-ton concrete barricade in front of that car, and the power of that concrete would stop the car. But because of his authority, if you're in your right mind, uh, and I hope we are, we're on the streets, that we're paying attention and not looking at our cell phones in our lap, uh, which I did yesterday, bumped the car in front of me. <laughs> but, uh, but with that same policeman on the side of the road, with his badge and his uniform, and, you know, whatever he's packing right here, he can point his finger at that car and say, stop. That's authority, okay? The concrete is the power, but his, his badge, his uniform, his gun is his authority and plus the authority that's given to him from a higher power. And so when the Roman centurion said to him, he said, Lord, I'm a man just like you. I have, I'm in authority and I have people under me and I say to this one, do this, and I say to that one, do that, and he does it. He said, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say in a word. Just say in a word, and my servant will be healed. And I'm just saying this morning that God's word is going forth. Just a little bit different service this morning, I know. Uh, but God's saying in a word this morning that where there's brokenness, there's going to be healing today. And where there is hurt, there's going to be healing. And where there is death, there's going to be life. All right? Listen to me. And where there are broken relationships, God's sending forth his word. All right. He's sending forth his word. He's bringing healing. All right. So, um, now listen. When you believe that we talked about God being in control, that God has a purpose, and if you believe that, if you believe that God has a purpose for your life, you know what you are? You're an optimist. You're an optimist. You believe that God it's got something good for you. I know the thoughts that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you, I have for you God says in Jeremiah. Uh, thoughts for hope and for a future. That's what God's saying to you this morning. I know the plans are good plans for you. And so if you believe that God is in control, you're an optimist. And, you know, you've been around pessimistic per people. I mean, it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, I just can't wait to get out. You know, just get away from them. But uh, have you guys ever heard the story about the pessimistic uh, paratrooper? Well, uh, 
The sergeant says, he says, uh, men, he says, there's a plane that's going to come in a little while. He's going to pick us up. That plane's going to go up to 10,000 feet. At 10,000 feet, you're going to jump out. You know, he says, uh, you know, you're going to put your right hand on your left shoulder. You're going to pull the rip cord, and your parachute's going to open. If it doesn't open, put your left hand on your right shoulder. Pull your spare rip cord. If that does, you know, he says, then that will open. He says, and when you drift down to the field, he said, there's going to be some trucks there that will pick you up and bring you back to the fort. So this pessimist gets on the plane, and he says, I, I bet this plane can't even get up to 10,000 feet. Well, sure enough, it gets up to 10,000 feet. He jumps out. He puts his right hand on his left shoulder. He pulls it. Nothing happens. He says, I knew it. I knew it. I knew nothing would happen. Puts his left hand on his right shoulder, pulls it. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And it's the soaring by the rest of the guys who have their chutes open. He says, and I bet those trucks won't be there either. All right, are you a pessimist or an optimist? If you're an optimist, you believe that God is in control. So, you know, one of the things that, that we need to do is try to find out, you know, what our gifts are. And I tell you what, many times we don't really realize what our gifts are, but there are others that are around you that, you know, your friends, your, you know, those that are close to you, they can tell you what your gifting is. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I know that there are teachers in this room, but let's just go ahead and look at Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 4 and 8, and uh, we'll read it, and then I'm going to just kind of break it down and talk to you about it a little bit. It says that, uh, for, as, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are in one body in Christ, and individual members of one another. Having then gifts, and, and 1 Corinthians tells us that each of us have gifts, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. All right. So sometimes, you know, we, get, we can get so spiritual that we just think that, you know, what is this? What is God saying here? Let me just break it down for you. A person with the gift of prophecy is a motivator. He's always trying to motivate people to serve God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, it talks about the word of prophecy. It exhorts and it edifies, and it builds up. And I know that many times when we think about a prophet getting up, we think about doom and gloom and hell and fire and brimstone and the pointing of the finger. But the, the New Testament definition of prophecy is one that exhorts and encourages and edifies. And this is the kind of person that you want to be around. That kind of prophet is the kind of person that you want to be around. And uh, in, in today's language, we just simply say that that person is a motivator. Um, then we have the gift of ministry. Uh, he says, our ministry, and the Greek translation of that word is um, diakonia, and it means deacon. It's where we get our word deacon. It simply means that just, you know, people that want to serve. Now, you're around these people, you know, when you go to a restaurant 
and you're in a restaurant and you finish eating, the person that starts cleaning up the table, I mean, we're in a restaurant now, okay? I mean, this is usually the job for waiters and waitresses, but there'll be someone in your group that'll start stacking the plates and getting everything cleaned off. This person is the server. I mean, they've got that heart of serving. Um, a teacher, this is the person who reads more than one book at a time. They're always asking me to read. Have you read this? Have you read that? Have you read this? I'm like, I'm still trying to get through the Bible. No, I haven't read all of these books yet. But this is the person that can read several books at a time. And, and this is the person that has a uh, Bible software on their computer. This is the person that carries a, a Strong's uh, Bible dictionary with them. Where's Jerry Bach? I saw him had one of those the other day. Uh, you know, this, you just want to know more. You want to know more and more and more about the Word, okay? And uh, then we have uh, an exhorter. An exhorter is another one that, that loves to encourage. In every situation, no matter what's going on in your life, I mean, you can say that, you know, I mean, just uh, you, you start naming things that have my house burned down. Oh, it'll be okay, brother. God will get you another one. You know, I lost my job. Oh, it's okay, brother. You know, God's going to get you a better job. You're just, yeah, they never see bad in anything. They always see the good, uh, the good side of things. And then we have people that are givers in the body of Christ. These are people that love to give. They love to take God's resources that God has given them and uh, give it to people that fall upon hard times. And, uh, you know, they, they don't want to just give money, though. They want to give wisdom and counsel, uh, you know, so that people use their money wisely. And then we have the, the one that leads. Uh, this is an administrator, very organized uh, person. Uh, you know, I mean, it's I mean, extremely organized, not only with notes and stuff. Now, if you walk into my office, you know that's not me. I walked into Jim Noble's office the other day, and on his desk, I'm not kidding you, I bet you there were 45 or 50 of these, like, callback notes and post-it notes all over his desk. He's not that kind of person either, you know. Uh, this, the person that is, this is, you know, you, how many of you guys know or watch this uh, uh, show, TV show called Monk? You, got, you know the one I'm talking about? The guy is constantly just like, you know, he can't stand to see anything crooked or straight. I mean, they're always like, he'll come in and straighten up your desk. And, and as soon as somebody does that to mine, I just kind of move a couple of things out of place to just mess with their mind a little bit because uh, I, I like a messy desk. Um, and then the person that is the uh, that has mercy. This is the person that is a real sympathizer. This is the person that you know he feels and he can express compassion for someone else's suffering. Uh, when people are going through a difficult time, this is the person when you know uh, they'll just show up and they'll start. Uh, just, you know, really trying to encourage you, and they have mercy for you, and, you know, we, I don't know why it is that every secretary that we get in our office is just so full of mercy. I mean, it doesn't make any difference who's called, you know, if they want help, it's just like, oh, yeah, sure, you know, we're, we'll write the check, we'll write the check, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just like, you know, I'm glad that they're not the ones that signed the check, uh, because they got to usually run it past me, and I said, well, let's just look a little closer to what we're doing here. It's like the guy that I, I met at the parking lot the other day. I was going to, you know, grab a bite to eat, and this guy comes up, and he's all, hey, man, he says, uh, my car broke down on the edge of town, and, and uh, I need a fuel pump, and, you know, I've got $30, and if you, it's cost $35, it cost $75, and if you could give me $35, you know, I could go get my fuel pump. And so I, I just had this real check in my spirit. I said, oh, really, where'd your car break down? He said, well, out there by I-25 and uh, Sharia's Road. And I said, okay, I said, I'll tell you what. 
How about you and I jump in my truck, and we'll go to the auto parts store, and I'll help you buy the fuel pump, and then I'll take you back out to where your car is and help you put it on. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. It's like, okay. <laughs> Busted. All right, so let me just show you in a real practical way how this works um, and how these gifts kind of flow together, all right? Uh, if you've ever been in a church meeting, business meeting, or any kind of church meeting, this is how this begins to unfold. You'll have an administrator there that's got an agenda, and the agenda is very important to him, and it's just line, line upon line, and don't deviate from that agenda because it really kind of messes with them. You know, you just need to go right straight through it. And, um, you know, that, so it, it's really important to him, and it's important to have these kind of people around you. They bring organization to your life. But, you know, as soon as a situation is brought up in any of these meetings, and, and all of these gifts are about people, and it's all about God blessing his people. And so if you have in some of these meetings or one of these meetings, you might have someone say that, you know, well, did you hear that so-and-so lost their job? And right away, the prophet will speak up and say something like, you know what, we should probably talk to him. There might be some sin in his life. And we just want to make sure they didn't have sin in his life so that, uh, you know, that God can get him another, another job. And then right after the prophet says something, uh, he'll say, the teacher would say, uh, you know, I wonder if he has read uh, 2 Timothy 3 uh, and read the five steps in there on how to get a job, because it talks about how to get a job there and things you can do. So the teacher's, you know, like coming at him with, you know, this is what you need to do. Take, read the five steps or take the five steps on how to get a job. And the encourager is already saying, you know, uh, he's already sending a text message to the guy saying, you know, just heard, brother, you lost your job. Just wanted to let you know we're praying for you. Everything is going to be fine. The giver will say, you know what, I think we should just take up an offering right now. And I'll give the first $100 and let's take up an offering and let's bless this guy. And the server's already left the meeting. He's gone out to buy groceries for the guy. And the guy with mercy's over in the corner crying. And this is how it works. This is how these gifts work. And so we see with Joseph, I'm going to get back to our story here, that with Joseph's gift, his gift was leadership and administration. No matter where he was, you know, things were getting organized. I mean, remember when he was in Potiphar's house, Potiphar didn't have to do one thing. He put him in charge of everything in his house. When he went to prison, the warden put him in charge of everything that he had to do. You know, I mean, it's just like the warden didn't even look over his shoulder. He was in charge. He was second in command. And then when he got to... Uh, Pharaoh's court, he was second in command of all of Egypt. You know, his gifts are just making a way for him. You know, and the Bible doesn't really talk about that cave that his brothers threw him in, that pit. But I, I guarantee you, that was an organized pit. I mean, I guarantee you that Joseph had that thing squared, up, squared away. So, uh, watch this. In Proverbs chapter 18. Just listen to this, hear this. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. And that's exactly what happened in Joseph's life, his gift. Now, if Joseph would have been in prison having a pity party and saying, oh, woe is me, God, woe is me, God, you know, I just, you know, this, things are terrible in my life, woe is me, he may not have had time or even the concern or the compassion to listen to the butler and the baker. But when the butler and the baker came in 
And Joseph said that the, he, saw, he noticed their countenance, that they were sad. And he's like, you know, I'm setting my problems aside for a moment. Tell me what's going on in your life. And he saw that they were sad. They shared with him the dream that they had. And boom, his ability, his gift, his God-given gift to interpret dreams, you know, kicks in for him. And it opened the door for his uh, release and freedom from that prison. In Luke chapter 16, it says that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you, I think about it, we, we say that, man, when I get to this place of position, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really kick in my gifts. I'm, I'm really going to take God serious. I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm really going to start moving in what God has called me to when I get to this place of position. But listen to this. It says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you true or commit to your trust the true riches? If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And that's exactly what Joseph was. He was faithful in Potiphar's house. He was faithful in prison. And he was faithful in Pharaoh's court. Each one of those places were a stepping stone for him. In Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul is giving an account of his testimony. And he's, he's sharing his testimony with a group of people. And he says that as he was on that Damascus road... Uh, he asks, he saw, sees this vision, hears this voice, and he says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. That God has a purpose. He had a purpose for Paul's life. To make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Um, I used the scripture, I think, last week or the, or the week before, but please, please, please hear this. Psalm 139. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in the secret places. What he's talking about is as those bones begin to form and structure in his mother's womb. He says, I wasn't hidden from you. God, you saw me there. You saw me in that place. He says that uh, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Now listen to this. All the days ordained for me. I was talking about your whole life from, from conception to the moment you take your first breath of air, to the moment you take your last breath of air, he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I want to tell you that that's good news. That that's telling me that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a purpose and a call for your life. Well, what did he write in your book? What has God written in your book. What is your purpose? What is your call? Well, for some, he called to be prophets and kings and priests. And some, he called to be administrators and teachers and encouragers and givers 
and servers and those that have mercy. He calls some of you to be doctors and lawyers and school teachers and politicians and realtors and involved in sales and secretaries and moms and dads and husbands and wives. This is what he's called you to. And just don't think that because when we talk about these great men of God in the Bible, like we talk about Abraham, we talk about David, we talk about Joseph or Jacob. You know, sometimes we read that and we think, you know, this is just about great people, other great people. It's not about me. But I want to tell you that it is about you, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. In Acts chapter 13, it says, so it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For when David, listen to this, had served God's purpose, when David had served God's purpose for his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. God had a purpose for David. Well, what was it? I mean, at some points in David's life, it was to be a mighty warrior. It was to conquer the Philistines and drive the enemy out of the land. At another time, it was just to be the king of Israel. God was raising him up to be king of Israel. And all of that, you know, uh, there were incredible setbacks in David's life. I mean, once God anointed him and once God called him, it was like all hell broke loose in David's life. You know, Saul decides that he's uh, envy of, je uh, of David, jealous of David, and, you know, he wants to put him to death. He's hiding in caves, living in the wilderness, li living in the desert, sometimes with food, sometimes without food, uh, very difficult conditions, and yet he stayed true to the course. And there was one time when he had an opportunity to kill Saul, and he said, I will not, this is that check, that heart check, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. It's that character check that each of us have to go through in life. Listen to this. We talk about difficulties and setbacks in life. At age 22, he failed in business. At age 23, he ran for state legislature, was defeated. At age 24, he again failed in business. At age 25, he was elected to the state legislature. At age 26, he experienced the death of his sweetheart. At age 27, he had a nervous breakdown. At the age 29, he was defeated for the House Speaker. At the age of 31, he was defeated for a position of elector. That would have been the House Speaker. At age 34, he was defeated for Congress. At age 37, he was elected to Congress. At age 39, he was defeated for Congress. At age 46, he was defeated for the Senate. At age 47, he was defeated for Vice President. At age 49, he was again defeated for the Senate. And at age 51, he was elected President of the United States talking about Abraham Lincoln. And he led our country through the only civil war that we've ever known, and he righted the greatest atrocity that we've ever had in our nation. God put him in the right place at the right time. And he suffered all of these setbacks in life, but he knew he had a call on his life to be a leader. Some of you have got great, great calls on your life. Don't let setback or disappointment or suffering or hardship keep you from moving forward. He was able to continue to move forward. God will open up a door for you just like he did for Abraham Lincoln. You know, I can't, you know, anytime I tell this story, 
I, I can't uh, help but think about, uh, you know, many times when we get in situations, it's just like we are um, paralyzed and we can't move forward. And when I think about Joseph being faithful with his gifts and his calling in prison and in Potiphar's house and uh, in the pit and with his brothers, and yet he continued to minister and to move in his gift. I can't help but think about Abraham. You know what great, greatest desire that Abraham had was to have his own son. He wanted a son. And uh, God had made a promise to him. And he had that, his period, his waiting period. We talked about Joseph, how it was 22 years uh, between uh, his waiting period. I believe it's what we said uh, you know, that period of time between when he received this call from God until the time that he stepped into his destiny. I, actually, it was the 13-year period but when he uh, entered into Pharaoh's court and how he remained faithful. But think about Abraham for a second. God makes a promise to Abraham. And this, you know, if you've got some spare time and you've got a pencil, just jot these scriptures down. Genesis chapter 20, verse 17 and Genesis chapter 21. Now, all you have to do is just remember Genesis 21 and then back up because uh, the, the uh, Genesis 20:17 is right before that. Abraham doesn't have any children. He is also down in Egypt because of a famine. And uh, there is a king there named Abimelech. And King Abimelech and his entire household, uh, the women in his household, cannot conceive and have children. Now, Abraham is still waiting. He's in that 25-year period. He is waiting for the fulfillment of God's word to him. But in Genesis chapter 20, verse 17, God says to Abraham, I want you to pray for this king Abimelech who cannot have children. And Abraham does it. And it says in 2017 that Abimelech's Wives and concubines begin to bear children for him. The very next verse of the very next chapter, the word says that God visited Abraham and Sarah, and she conceived. Do you see that? So we minister in our gift where we are right now, and God will open up greater doors for you. Um, I'm going to wrap it up with this right here, and I want our worship team, if you guys will come back and just get ready, I want to have uh, an opportunity. Uh, some of you may be saying this morning, I, you know, Ron, I just don't know. I, I still don't know what my gift is, what my calling is, what my destiny is. And our prayer ministers are going to go right now and stand against that wall so that when we're done, that you can just walk over and just ask one of them to pray for you. Now, we talked about the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, just being here, his presence being here, and how that God will show you. God, he's not trying to hide this from you. I mean, the gifts of God, the gifts and the calling of God are for the edification of the body of Christ. Don't you think that God wants to see his, his bride edified and exhorted and encouraged? Listen to these. These are actual inserts from John Wesley's journal. Great man of God, if you don't know who he was. Sunday, a.m., May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's Church, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday, p.m., May the 5th, 
preaching St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday, a.m., May the 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday, a.m., May 19th, preaching St. somebody else's church. Deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday, p.m., May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday, a.m., May 26th, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as the bull was turned loose during the service. Sunday, a.m., June the 2nd, preached at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Listen to this. Sunday, p.m., June the 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came to hear. Don't let setbacks hold you back. Won't you stand?